0: Good day, and how's it going? Um, to, the date is the third of August, two thousand and eighteen, and welcome to the first episode of the Stocks on the Move podcast. Um, my name is Jeremy, um, Jeremy Medlin, I'm I'm your host. Um, just before we sort of kick things off, a uh, bit of a standard disclaimer that nothing, nothing I say today should be considered as as financial advice, and and the information that I I, I provide and, and, and talk about is, is general in, in nature and, and for informational purposes only. Um I, I recommend as always that you consult an authorised financial advisor if you are looking for, for personalised financial advice. Um also there'll be from time to time there'll be there'll be stocks that, that I talk about um that I may have positions in either for or against. right so welcome to the podcast um this is something that i guess just to kick off something that i've been talking about doing for a very long time now probably over a year um and you know i've I've thought for a you know done a lot of thinking but haven't haven't taken much action on it and you know i guess it's because i didn't know really where to start so i thought well rather than planning it too much we'll we'll just give it a, a a crack run with it and and see how it goes so i guess the first thing i have to to apologize for is the the lack of quality of of this podcast I, I have no broadcasting experience um and i'm literally recording this on my iphone um so no doubt it's it's not to the quality that you would expect from your if, you, if you're a regular podcast user um so what we'll hopefully do is if it's something that i enjoy doing and 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 people like listening to, is, is we'll hopefully add to the content and, and improve what I'm doing over time. Um, but, you know, at first we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, so what we'll try to do each week is is talk about the markets and talk about what's relevant to individual stocks and, and what is happening. Um, I guess we'll have a, a, a dominant focus towards the NZX or the New Zealand market. Um, but, you know, when there's stuff that's certainly relevant happening overseas or in overseas stocks we'll, we'll be love to talk about it as well um from time to time hopefully we'll we'll get some guests in um maybe some some ceos from other companies or, or other investors um and we can we, we can talk in more detail and, and and provide some color to to what's happening as well um so right what we'll do is, is we'll kick straight into it um and we'll get going To tell you all a, a bit about myself and, and my background in the markets, I guess I was introduced to the to the markets at, at a reasonably young age, um actually by my grandmother. Um and what she did was as as a present for my brother and my sister, um, is she bought us shares in the New Zealand company well I guess one of the stock market darlings of the of the of the eighties and and the nineties was a company called Briley's, um, and I I didn't really know anything about it, but I I did receive an annual report every year that I pretended to read, and what really got my attention was was the the the, the twenty dollar dividend check that w- that would come through every so often. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think we eventually sold those Briley shares, and I, I don't think it, it 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 did anything for me in terms of an investment, but. I think if nothing else it, it put an an idea into my mind that, that the stock market was a thing. Um my next real memory of of the stock market after that was again during the 90s. Um I I didn't really know what I was looking at but I I'd, I'd log on every day to to teletext during the the old Tellytext during the school holidays and and check the stock prices. Um and I have a particular memory of of looking at the the stock price of the warehouse every day, and and watching it go up. The warehouse was not so much a stock market darling right now, but during the '90s and, and during its expansion period, it, it certainly was. And I remember telling my dad that <laughs> we should be investing, putting money in, in into the warehouse shares, um, literally for no other reason that the stock seemed to to go up in price every day. Um, I guess when I was at at, at high school. Um, through the early 2000s I had an interest in the stock market but my mind was probably elsewhere and it wasn't till really when I I, I left university and, and got a job that I, I became interested in, in the markets again and my my basic education I didn't know where to start was I, I bought a book um, I can't remember what the book was now but the basic thesis of it was that you should buy stocks that that go up and they increase their profits every year, that make more money for their shareholders every year. That was the basic thesis of the book. So what did I do? I took that information to Google and I typed into Google what stocks in New Zealand increase their profits every year. Um, I certainly wouldn't recommend doing this now, but what came up at the time was, was Ryman Healthcare. Um, and, <laughs> right... Yeah, you know, more more dumb luck than anything else. So I I put all my savings into into Ryman Healthcare, and this was in about I guess I suppose two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Put put everything into Ryman Healthcare, and it subsequently watched it go from about two dollars a share down to about a dollar twenty a share, in, in the financial crisis. Um, yeah, that that was my first experience in, in stock market and investing. Was a forty percent loser um not really knowing what to do I, I held on to it um and the you know the the rest is history the stock you know subsequently went up 4 or 500% before I sold it and and you know if if nothing else having your first stock going up 4 or 500% certainly does grab your attention um the next stage of my life I, I moved to the UK um and basically just started accumulating stocks i think it was on the London market at the time actually it was Retrospectively, um, it was a very easy market to, to, to be buying stocks. I mean stocks in general were very cheap um, and I was buying good companies at, at, at really cheap prices on the London Stock Exchange. One, one particular one that comes to, to mind is there's, there was an insurance company I bought called Catlin Insurance um, and that, that was trading at about a £1 billion market valuation. And I was able to buy the the stock when it had one billion cash in the bank and no debt, so it had net cash of one billion, and the stock was trading at one billion, and it was it was a no brainer. Another a, a great example I remember was um, <laughs> EasyJet, the 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 a, a discount airliner in, in the UK. This was a situation where um, the stock price was getting absolutely slaughtered by. Um, years of the ebola outbreak that was that was going on in Europe at the time and and the stock and in, in my view was irrationally selling off um to down to down to levels where the valuation was great and I remember I was on an easy jet flight back from malta to to london um and the flight was full right in the middle of this there wasn't there wasn't a spare seat um right in the middle of this ebola outbreak the the flight was absolutely full and the flight was actually delayed, and I went, and they, they had offers to to go speak to the captain. I guess just to keep the, pan, the passengers interested. So I went up to the front of the plane and, and got to speak to the pilot. Um, and this is a this is an example I think for investors about where they can use their their day to day life to do fundamental research in the market. And I said to the pilot outright, I said, "What do you think of the Ebola?" outbreak and he said well look it, it theoretically could be a, a, a big deal but we we don't believe that <laughs> that there is we, we've done our research and, and we think the actual tower risk impact is, is minimal um, and he said look at this plane it's absolutely full all our planes are full um, I'm buying shares that was the kicker for me when he said I'm buying shares and, and you probably should as well um, you know, I, I think I do, it, it's never enough just because someone's buying shares to run out and buy them. But the, that was sort of the icing on the cake for me. And, and I ran out and bought, bought some EasyJet shares and, and did very well once the Ebola thing blew over. I think that's an example of where you can do fundamental research on the ground. But it's in a company that you know and that you understand. And it's an example of when the market could be irrational with its pricing as well. Um another from from there you know soon after i actually moved back to new zealand i sold all my shares in the uk and and came back to new zealand and by by the stage i was passionate about the the stock market you know i've read every single book i i and and i felt like i was confident in what i was talking about so i moved back to new zealand and i wanted to work in the industry and i got a job as a discount broker um and a discount broker called Halifax dealing with clients, and I guess you know that that, that was a good experience because it sort of immersed me in, in the markets every day, which was great. Um, and then I got the opportunity to to buy into a stock research firm in, in Auckland called Australasian Trading Management, which some of you may may know me from. Um, and we and got to, to write analyst reports and, and things as well. And I'm, I'm still a shareholder in that business today. Um, and and these days, you know, I've still remained passionate about the market and 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 investing in in New Zealand, Australia, and the United States. So that's a bit about me, and I think now we'll we'll crack into some some individual stocks. Right. So how however bad your week has been, it probably hasn't been as bad as if you were a, a shareholder of PushPay. Um, the stock sold off. I think about eight percent yesterday. Um, after its its second quarter I guess earnings, even though there are no no real earnings, I guess it's revenue and, and performance update. Um it was quite quite an interesting interesting earnings call and an update really, I and mean, I guess if we give you the the, the headline numbers first, um Compared to the compared to the comparative quarter of last year, um, ending the thirtieth of June two thousand seventeen, the company increased its its total revenue um, from fifty two point six percent from fourteen million to twenty one point four million. Now that that's that's set at the top end of the revenue guidance that they gave at the end of the first quarter. Um, what you want to see from a, a company like PushPay is is that really strong revenue growth. I think it's really important for them to, to to really grab that market share. It'll be interesting to see what happens for them, I think, as the company, um, as its revenue base, as a, as a revenue base with any company increases in size, what what happens is the law of large numbers comes into effect and it becomes harder to deliver the same percentage returns in, in the future as what, what, what happens in the past. So, It'd be really interesting to see how PushPay copes with with increasing the scale there. Um, what we'd really like to see, what we'd really really like, so this is a dream result, would be for the the PushPay's revenue increases to accelerate. So, say it's fifty two point six percent at the moment, right? Then say say next quarter it accelerates by sixty percent, sixty five percent, and so on. That that's that's often the 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 key is that real. Fast revenue acceleration. Interestingly, um, and, and you, you do expect it as you know, PushPay's revenue growth is actually be decelerating. But it'll be really interesting to see what happens going forward. Um, the other key metric for me um, that, that I look at at, at PushPay, I, I don't pay any attention to the the annualised committed monthly revenue, the the number that the company spouts off is the important metric. I, I think that's a bit because of the seasonality involved in the business, I, I think that's a bit Mickey Mouse, really. It, it, it doesn't, it, it's not really of interest to me. Um, what What is interest, of interest to me is the average revenue per customer. Um, so that's the average revenue they're making off each customer. Now, you, you look there, right, and you look at the June quarter last year, that was $732 per month. Um, and, and they increased that to, to $994 per month, so an increase of 35%. Um, so that that to me is, is is a good number. That shows that they're able to get more dollars from from their customers per customer. Um, and you know, it doesn't you don't really need to look at it in too much more detail than that. Really, it's as simple as that. What that what that increase is a reflection of, though, is the way they have been able to transfer their business from focusing on all churches in the United States to just the medium to large churches because they believe that's where the biggest dollar value is. Um, so that's 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 a key number. Another number I look at um, is is the total customers. Um, the growth here was a bit, bit slower. Um, so they had 7,128 customers in June last year and 7,352 customers this year. Um, so only a small growth there, but again, that probably reflects the fact that they're not focusing on the 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 smaller businesses anymore um I keep saying businesses but it's but it's actually obviously churches um so you're yeah, not not focusing on the small churches anymore, so I think that total customer's number you know it's not as comparative at the moment, not that helpful at the moment, but I think in the future. Um, you know, it it it'd be a number to, to pay attention to because it will illustrate how they're managing to get that penetration into the into the larger churches. Um the other key key stat that they put out is the annualised processing volume. Um so that increased to three billion compared to about two last year. Um so they've they have a longer term target or medium term target to get to ten billion over time and obviously the, the more the merrier there as well. Um there's there's no real yeah, the, the more the better. <laughs> There's no real downside there. Um, so, and the other key thing is the staff headcount decreased, which is unusual for a growth company, but I think reflects the fact that they are targeting the, the medium to, to large churches at the moment. Um, the other big news for the quarter was the fact that their, their founder, um, he sold all 100 million of his shares, Elliot Crowther um, sold all 100 million of his shares, and and resigned as a director in the business um, and resigned from an employee in the business as well. So what, what I'd like to call a clean break um, for family reasons. Um, now, there's nothing wrong with insider selling. I, I think a lot of investors get quite aggrieved when they see insiders selling their shares. But I think you know it, it, it's rational at the end of the day. If I had 100 million of, of anything in, in one place, I'd probably be looking to sell some shares as well. Um, I think most people would have, have put on the spot because um, at the end of the day, push pay you know whatever way you cut it and, and like any of these growth companies it is is a high risk high reward type play I think there 's the a fairly good chance that they 'll succeed in the future, but you 'd have to argue that there 's a fairly good chance that they won 't as well, like any any company that doesn 't make any profits so you know to see a, to see a director selling i think thats that 's not unnatural. What was surprising was to to see somebody that is selling every single one of the shares all 100 million dollars um you know for for family reasons now you can probably tell by my tone I'm a little bit suspicious suspicious of that I'm sure the company will will argue otherwise but that's just that's just my own personal view so i guess that has caused some jitters in the market with with pushpay stock recently um, understandably so, understandably so, so I think it's really important in terms of how the company executes going forward. Um, one of the direct consequences of Elliott Crowther's, I guess, sell down so to speak, um, was that there's now a lot of institutional holders of push pay that never used to exist before. Um, so previously it was a, quite a tightly held stock um, by, by a, a few directors and, and, and key insiders. Um, but now the institutions have a big stake in the company as well, and you saw that straight away on the earnings call yesterday. So normally there would be a, a couple of small investors ask questions, but yesterday, you know, the questions kicked off with from Craig's and, and Goldman Sachs, um, and I think, you know, I, I never normally enjoy these earnings calls. It, it tends to be just some some spreadsheet completion from analysts looking to create their discount cash flow models but I think there was actually some insights to be gained from the push pay call yesterday I guess the the you have to read between the lines in a lot of these a lot of these calls because obviously you, you, these these people were any management not push pays specifically but managements are generally quite coy in, in these sorts of conversations because they don't want to get called caught out with anything but I think there were some interesting takeaways from reading between the lines Yesterday from from the push pay meeting, so the business has obviously been in a bit of flux. Um, that that was that was the, my key takeaway. That there's been some real changes with the way they're approaching the the how they're selling to the larger churches as opposed to the smaller ones. Um, so there's been some key personnel changes, um, some quite abruptly by the sounds of things as well. Um, and obviously with Elliot Crowder leading, like I said, my opinion it suggests this might might be a bit of unease at the company but i think in, in my view they have communicated quite well about how they want to 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 focus on these medium to large churches so i guess that's a call that if you're a shareholder you're, you're backing the management to execute on that and if it's one of those things that if if, if you're not comfortable with you don't have to don't have to own the stock it's like anything but yeah it, it, it should, will be really interesting to see how they execute going forward that's for sure Turning away from tech into i guess milk production now, which is the current market darling in the in the new zealand in the New Zealand stock market and well in Australia as well because it 's been a darling over there um, A2 milk actually announced that it 's increasing its ownership in, in Simlay, um, so from just under just over nine percent to just under eighteen percent of the company owns now um, so that that 's a really interesting one and and it shows the that A2 is, is quite serious about establishing the relationships for its production, which, you know, is, you, you don't need to think too hard about that to, to, to think that that's logical. Um, it also may signal that A2 believes that the that the stock of, of Sinlay is, is quite cheap, um, which, you know, I, I don't really have a view on. I'm, I'm personally not a big fan of of farming stocks and in in general being a commodity product and a capital intensive product but obviously the demand they've been been able to achieve from from China and and, and elsewhere has been quite exceptional so we're really interested to see how that plays out um the, the the second thing I start to think of there is 17.39 percent of the company they now own is are, are they going to be you know I think it's at twenty percent that they have to sort of announce their attentions to the market so is there a potential for the for for a takeover there we'll see um it'll be really interesting to see how that plays off i mean certainly a two a company that that is generating increasing cash flows at the moment, so maybe that's something they'll they'll look to as as an as an area whether they want to actually be involved in in Managing the production as as well as the distribution, that would be a, a key question for me if I was a manager of, of A2. Because um, you know, that obviously adds a whole other level of complications as well. But certainly with a 17.39% stake in the company now, they can certainly block a takeover, most likely block a takeover, takeover from elsewhere and certainly influence the direction of of what, the Sinlay management takes as well, so you'd have to say that, that that's probably a logical move from A2 in terms of securing its 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 production going forward. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Briscoes, um, believe it or not, Briscoes is you know New Zealand's largest retailer now, um, Briscoe Group. Um, so. If if you read up on the story of of Briscoes and I've written a report about this recently, so if you'd like if you'd like to see it, just just drop me a line. Um, yeah, it's it's quite an impressive little well not little anymore New, New Zealand company. So um, so they released their their half year sales numbers um, for for the period ending twenty ninth of July two thousand eighteen. So. Total group sales came in at just under three hundred billion at two hundred ninety-two million. Um, it was a four point two seven percent increase on the prior year. Um, this was actually led by home homeware sales, um, so essentially Briscoe store sales, which increased four and a half percent year on year. Um, and sporting groups, so the Rebel Sport, essentially just just under four percent at three point eight three percent. Now, I guess you know we've spoken about PushPay and we've spoken about A two briefly on on the podcast today, so. You know, when you, when you compare four percent to 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 the numbers that those companies are putting up, it's it's easy, I think, to get a bit disheartened by it. Um, and this is one of the real dangers, in in my view, of of, compar- of comparative analysis between companies in the stock market because it takes most things completely out of out of context. Um, and you, you can't be sitting there comparing a company like Briscoe's to A Two Milk. Um, so when you think about the fundamentals of Briscoe's, right? It's expanded, or really can store-wise. You know, they'll they'll add stores and they'll take some away here and there, and you'd you expect over time their the stores to gradually increase. But it would be reckless for them to pursue a, a big a big growth growth phase in, in New Zealand. So what what you what I like to see from a company like Briscoes is, you know, growth that is headline revenue growth ahead of. On the whole, there'll be, there'll be times when it's up, times when it's down, whatever, but on the whole, ahead of how fast the economy's growing itself. And what you want to see from there is that that translating through to cost efficiency, so cost savings they can make at the store level, at administration level, to lead to increased profits and increased dividends back to shareholders. That's the sort of thing you want to see. Um so and you know you, you can make a lot of money off of four and a half percent growth if you buy at the right price and I think when you look at Briscoes, you've got a company that's got eighty million in cash um in the bank no debt um they own twenty percent of Katmandu which is a which is about hundred and forty million um so a very very financially strong company um and all you want them to do is keep doing what they're doing and and send back the excess cash to you as an owner of the company as as a dividend now one thing with with briscoes that that you always have to be aware of aware of is the um the fact that there's there's one shareholder roger who owns 75 percent of the company give or take um so essentially yeah, you know it's it's, <laughs> it's hard to argue that he doesn't have your best interests at heart Due to his own personal stake in the company, but essentially you are going into partnership with with him um, because he he essentially controls the company. And there's nothing wrong with having controlling shareholders. And there's been loads of examples when when it's when it's done really well. Um, an example from retail, an obvious one would be Walmart and and in, in the United States with the Walmart with the sorry the Walmart family, the Waltons family, um, and. Yeah, you know, and so far, I, I personally think that 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 Rod Duke has done a fantastic job. Um, so I, I see no reason why that, what why that doesn't continue going forward. Um, obviously, with with Briscoe's, um, the the real, <laughs> the real boogeyman um, is is how things play out with with competition from the internet, um, and you know, it's interesting to note that that Briscoe said that their um, The internet sales increased by 20% over the quarter, um, and it now makes up 9% of total sales. But if you think about what that actually means for the company, right, you hear, oh, 20% increase in in sales, but that's got to come from somewhere. Um, And as it's a company that's already expanded everywhere they're going to expand in their market, that 20% essentially comes from sales that would otherwise be made in the store. Um, So... You know, there's a great saying that you better to cannibalize yourself and let someone else do it. I think that's what Briscoe's is doing in this case. Um, rather than waiting for Amazon and Alibaba to show up, they're getting a bit of a head start. So how, how the online plays out is, is, is an unknown. Even the company has said that they don't know how that's going to look in, in 10 years' time. I don't think anyone truly does. Um, but all you can say is that financially, this is a very, very strong company. Um, all the quantitative metrics from an accounting perspective look very good. Um, you've got a, you've got a, the found they, they generate a lot of cash on on their equity, um, and they return a lot of it to you as a shareholder. Um, so and and obviously the not the founder but uh, the big player in the company has 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 all the shares as well. So it'll be really interesting to see how this one plays out in the future as well. Right. So if you're still listening, then congratulations. You've made it to the end um well really really i have really enjoyed this um and i really appreciate you hearing me out on the first episode no doubt there was it it was of poor quality (laughs) there's some background noise no doubt i probably ummed a lot um just like i just did now but I, i do really appreciate it and i really hope to have have you listening on on the next show all right we'll see you later and and good luck out there in the markets bye